Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. John 1, 19-34 This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. What then, they asked him, Are you Elijah? I am not, he said. Are you the prophet? No, he answered. Who are you then, they asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, so they asked him, Why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? I baptize with water, John answered them. Someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to untie. All this happened in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Here is the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptizing with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he rested on him. I didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water told me, the one you see the Spirit descending and resting on, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So for some of you in these last several weeks have probably been full of a lot of introductions, especially for you students, right? So you may have met your roommate or uh, your teachers or your RA or your classmates, stuff like that. And you've kind of gone through the drill, you know, where it's, it's here's who I am, here's where I'm from, and these are my people, my wife, husband, well, maybe students, I don't know, like your, your pets, whatever it is, like here's kind of like the bio, the, the brief description of who I am. Um, or maybe you started a new job or you joined a connection group or you moved, or maybe you moved groups at work, right? And it's just new people kind of, kind of all the time. These last several weeks, a lot of introductions uh, may have been going on. Or maybe for you, it, it isn't so much job or location change. You're kind of more in the preparing to have a baby you know, stage. And so you're in this category of, you aren't so much uh, figuring out introductions. You're more like trying to name a human, like to give them an identity, right? Where they will then introduce themselves this way. And uh, if you're anything like my wife and I, for us, naming, naming our kids was kind of difficult because my mom was, was a teacher for like three decades and Sarah worked in the public schools in Chicago and in Des Moines. And so for us, and if you're a teacher, you kind of get this, 
a lot of names were off the table <laughs> with, with so much like education background, right? Because it's like, oh, we can't name him Isaac because I knew an Isaac. He was like this. I can't name him Cody or I can't name him. Like it was just like all of these names that were just off the table for us. So that was kind of, kind of difficult. Wherever you're at today, whether it's a lot of new introductions or you're, you're giving a, a human some kind of identity, um, the question hanging in the balance in all of these things is who are you? That's the question. As you're meeting someone new, that's the, who are you? Who are they? And this is why for some of you, you got an entirely different wardrobe your freshman year. You got an entirely different hairstyle. You've worked on developing an entirely different persona. Why? Because this is a new place. Your parents aren't here. Like the people here don't know you. Like we don't know your high school reputation. Like we don't know you were the nerd. Okay, we just, you're just a person. And so like this is a great time, a lot of freshmen to like rebrand yourself. Who do I want to be? I'm away from home. I can be whoever I want to be. And while we were all given a name at birth, many of us have spent a majority of our lives trying to make a name for ourselves. You got your name down, but there's still this lingering question, who am I? And what we see in our passage this morning is someone who saw themselves in a completely different way. What we're gonna see in our, in our text this morning is a guy named John. And John shows us that when God gets a hold of your life, you will have a particular view of yourself and a particular view of Jesus. When God gets a hold of your life, you'll have a particular view of yourself and a particular view of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, if you haven't already opened there, turn to John chapter one. And we're gonna see how John shows us how the transformed life gives us a particular view of ourselves and a particular view of Jesus. So John chapter one, verse 19. This was John's testimony when the Jews from Jerusalem sent priests and Levites. So real quick, this John, so we're in the book of John. This John's a different John. So the John who wrote the book of John is John, the son of Zebedee, uh, otherwise known as, we, as we're gonna see throughout the book of John. John refers to himself, not as John, but as the disciple who Jesus loved. Okay, that's a pretty great thing to be able to write about yourself. It's your book, you can, you can write that about yourself, okay? The John we're talking about this morning is John, often known as John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. And if you go back to, to the book of Luke, in the first chapter of Luke, we see that John's dad, Zechariah, was a priest in the temple of God. And one day when Zechariah went into the temple to perform his priestly duties, an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah and said, hey, Zechariah, I know you and Elizabeth are like super ancient. You're like way too old to have kids. Well, guess what? You're gonna have a son and you are going to name him John because your son has been chosen by God to be filled with the Holy Spirit to go before the coming Messiah. He's not the Messiah, but he's gonna go before the Messiah and prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. This is who your son's going to be. 
And this is John the Baptist. John has been created by God to be the forerunner to the coming Messiah. And so now as we encounter John in the book of John, John the Baptist, John has grown up and he is fulfilling the purpose that God gave him to be the forerunner to the Messiah. And as he did that, his following began to grow. His influence began to grow. His fame began to grow. And this started to make some of, the, some of the religious leaders kind of in that area a little nervous. And so they sent some people to say, hey, go figure out who this John guy is. And so verse 19, they sent priests and Levites to ask him, who are you? This is the question that some of us just desperately want people to ask when we walk in the room. Who are they? Not like, who are they? But like, who are they? Like in awe, like, like this person has now entered the scene. Like, who are they? And here's John, he's getting recognized. He's becoming known. His social media posts are like blowing up, right? Like he's got more likes on Instagram than you could ever wish to have. You know, like he's getting the fame that many of us so desperately want to have. Like people kind of knew what they thought about John, but now they're really interested in what John has to say about himself. And what's John's particular view of himself? So he said, the life transformed by God, chosen by God, has a particular view of itself. What is John's particular view of himself? Look at this, verse 20. He didn't deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. Another word for Messiah is Christ. We saw a few weeks ago that Jesus Christ, Christ isn't his last name. It's a description of who he is, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the rescuer. And what we saw in the first week is that the reason why John, the first John wrote this book was so that we would see that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. And what we saw was that in the beginning, the word, Jesus Christ, was with God and was God, that Jesus has created all things. And then what we see in the book of Hebrews, chapter one, verse three, is that not only did Jesus create everything, but that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This is the Christ. And not only that, but as John is responding to the Jewish leaders who came to ask ask him this question, he also knows that for these, for the Jews at this time, they expected the Messiah to not just be a spiritual figure, but also a political one. That they expected that the Messiah would come to overthrow the prevailing political system, to do away with oppression and to reinstate the Jews to their rightful place of power and to bring the hope and change that they were all looking for. So John knew this. And John's response right off the bat is, I'm not him. I'm not the Christ, I'm not the creator, I'm not the sustainer of all things. I'm not the answer to your physical problems. I'm not the answer to your spiritual problems. I am not the Christ. John had a particular view of himself. And my guess is this morning is that it would do a majority of us well to embrace and own the confession that I am not the Christ. 
Turn to the person next to you and say, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. Like this would do our souls well to receive this identity and to own it, that you are not the Christ in your parenting. You aren't the Christ in your job. You aren't the Christ in your studies. You aren't the Christ in your schedule. You aren't the Christ in your obligations. But how many of us, just be honest with yourself, how many of us live in such a way that we see ourselves as the indispensable sustainers of our own little worlds? Like, if I step out of the picture for a second, things will just fall apart. Like I'm the glue that holds this together. Like if I don't show up, things fall apart. There's like, like I am the pillar. I'm holding all of these things up. In the constant struggle, in the constant work, trying to change your child's heart. Can I get a witness, parents? Trying to change your child's heart. You work so hard, but no matter how hard you work, no matter how loud you yell, you might be able to change their actions, but you have no hope of changing their attitude. You are not the Christ. In the schedule crammed full of appointments and obligations because of all the things you either want to do or feel obligated to do, you've said yes to everything that has come your way because you are desperately trying to be omnicompetent. Like this omnicompetent energizer bunny who does it all. You're known as the person who says yes to everything because you love being needed. You are not the Christ. For all of us, when we pick up our phone and we're, we have this barrage of pictures and articles and news stories and our news feed, and we've, we've, we've been tricked into thinking that just because I know everything that's going on in the world, that somehow I am everywhere. And because I see everything going on, I need to care about everything going on. And because I care about everything going on, I need, I need to do something about everything going on. There's all these problems. There's all these struggles and I know about it and I feel guilty. Like I need to be able to do something about it. And so we're just like bombarded by all this information and we feel the crushing weight of being omnipresent, of being everywhere. We feel like we need to do something about everything when the reality is that it's only God who is all-knowing and it is only God who is ever-present. You are not the Christ. This was uh, probably about a month ago now. I was remodeling our bedroom. It was, it was my wife and I's anniversary. And I was like, I was like hey, I'm gonna remodel our bedroom because we haven't done anything to it since we moved in. And so uh, we're pulling everything out of the room so I can get ready to paint it. And when I like lift the bed up, there's like, like mold on the bottom of it, which I don't know how that happens. And I was like, okay. Well, we're throwing that away. And, and as, I'm, as I'm looking at new mattresses, my wife is like, hey, can you just be sure not to buy the cheapest one possible? You know, I'm like, okay, that's annoying to me because 
I don't care about our mattress that much. Um, I was like, okay, but why? She's like, well, don't forget, we spend a third of our lives on this thing, which that just added to the frustration, right? Because I'm like, like it was the reminder to me that we spend a third of our lives in a totally helpless, unconscious state. Like just laying there, like a helpless little bird, right? You know, and if you're anything like me, it's like, we gotta get things done. Like there are things to do. Like I'm more of a night owl anyway, you know, but it's like, it's like God has given us a purpose on this life. I don't wanna waste it. And so I'm gonna maximize every minute and like sleep is like in the way. You know, either of doing what I know I need to do, should do, or want to do. Sleep is this massive barrier. And I go, why in the world would God give us this incredible purpose and mission in life and then design us to spend a third of our life doing nothing? Why is that? What a waste of time. The only thing that I've been able to figure out as to why sleep even exists is because I think it's to give us a daily reminder that last night while you and I slept that the world kept spinning. The stars kept shining and this morning the sun rose with no help from you and me. And I just have to wonder if part of the reason why some of us have a hard time sleeping, that we either stay up till all hours of the morning trying to get all these things done, or we lay in bed worrying about all the troubles of the world is because deep down within us, we believe that we are the sustainers of our universe, that if I don't care about this, nothing will happen. I think God has given us the gift of sleep to be a daily reminder that Jesus, the true Christ, upholds everything by the word of his power. And that Jesus does more work in one night of your sleep than you will ever do in a lifetime of your work. You are not the Christ. But yet some of you wake up every morning with this crushing sense of responsibility, obligation, as though I am the one that holds everything up. You are not the Christ. So John had a particular view of himself and he moves on into verse 21. So they go on and ask him, what then? They asked, are you Elijah? No. Then they ask, are you the prophet? No. The Greek word for his response to both to these questions, are you Elijah or are you the prophet, is the Greek word, ooh. O-U, ooh. It kind of, it's more, it sounds more like a sound than a word. It's like, are you Elijah? Ooh. It's like the Jimmy Fallon, like, ill. You know, that's what it is. <laughs> it's just, it's short, it's quick. It's just like, bleep. there it is. Elijah, ooh. Prophet, ooh. It's what we see is that John's particular view of himself was incredibly quiet. When given the platform to talk about himself, John is frustratingly quiet. 
And we can see this frustration come out in the religious leaders who are talking to him in verse 22. Look at this. They say, you can almost hear it in their voice. They're just frustrated. Who are you then? They asked. We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What can you tell us about yourself? Come on, John, you're wasting our time. Like we just, it was a simple question, wasn't it? Who are you? And here you are. Just ooh. Like, that's it. That's all you're giving us. Like, come on, give us something to go with. What do you have to say about yourself? What significance do you attach to yourself? And his response is, I'm just a voice. Shouting, make straight the way of the Lord. Now, what is up with that? That sounds weird to us. Make straight the way of the Lord. Like I'm just a voice. Well, back then, so they didn't quite have like the inner, you know, the paved roads, like the asphalt, you know, that you love to rollerblade on kind of thing. Like they didn't have that. Okay. And so for them, like their terrain between regions was incredibly rocky. It was incredibly bumpy. It had debris. It had bumps. Like it was just, it was, it was harsh. And so when a king was going to go from, from one region to another, what they would do is they would send people ahead of the king to fill in the holes, to move the debris, to remove the obstacles, to, make, to, to try to make the bumps smoother, to make the hills lower, to make the holes filled. So that way as the king, so that way the king would have like a smooth ride into the next region. They would make way, the way of the king, make straight the way of the king so that his journey would be unimpeded by obstacles. These people who went before were obstacle removers. So when they ask John, so John, are you the Christ? He's like, nope, I'm just the road crew. Preparing the way for the main attraction. You see, when, when they make straight the way of the king, the purpose wasn't so that people would look at it and go, wow, look at that great road. No, it was so that they would say, look at that great king. But how many of us make our decisions how many of your decisions are determined by how it will make other people see you? It's like the road crew trying to become the main attraction. Like how many of your decisions, like, like everything from this is, this is like, this is me, okay? Or you're like, this is so petty. Or like, does this mask look cool? Like, will people like my mask, you know? Like, or should I, I don't wanna wear that blue one because that's lame. Like, you know, I like the logo on the right, you know, it's kind of offset, you know, real trendy. And then, you know, or you're standing in front of your closet and it's like, huh, I wonder, wonder what outfit will make people when I walk in the room, they'll go, who is that? Like how many decisions are determined by how we want people to see us? It's the road crew becoming the main attraction. And yet John had a particular view of himself that was incredibly quiet. And we see this again in verse 25, look at this. So they kind of move on. They go, so they asked him, why then do you baptize if you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet? And John said, I baptize with water. John answered them, someone stands among you, but you don't know him. He is the one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not worthy 
to untie. In essence, he's saying, guys, it's just water. You think you've attached such significance to the water and such significance to the person baptizing that you've just like, you've missed it because it's just water. My authority to do this doesn't matter compared to the one who's coming. And the one who's coming, he has the authority, he has the power, he has the status that is such that even I am unworthy to untie his sandals. Now for us, that's not a big deal because our shoes are relatively clean. But back then, rabbis were often taken care of by their disciples. And so their disciples would in essence do everything for them. But even in that culture, disciples wouldn't touch the feet of their rabbi. Because even that crossed the line, too gross, too low. Like that act of untying the sandal of a person was for the lowest of the lowest of the low of society, which is why it's so revolutionary when Jesus washes his own disciples' feet, by the way. So John saw himself in comparison to Jesus. You're, you're, you're making me the big deal. You're asking who I am. All the attention is going on me. You don't even understand the person who's coming. I'm not even worthy to untie their shoes. But before you think that John has like an unhealthy self-image, okay, what we see is that John didn't revere himself, but he also didn't revile himself. See, John didn't love himself, but he also didn't loathe himself. See, I think what happens is that many of us think that the solution to pride is self-loathing. Like if I think too highly of myself, then what I need to do is I need to constantly remind myself of how terrible I am. Like I'm not as great as I think, I'm bad at this, I'm bad at this, I'm bad at this, I don't do this, I should do this, but I'm not. Like we think that the solution to self-exaltation is self-deprecation. And on the contrast, we often think that the solution to like a low self-esteem is to just solve that with a high self-esteem, right? Like, well, if, if you see yourself too low, if you don't like yourself, then what you need to do is to think more highly of yourself. You need to like, you need to have like constant encouragement circles where people just go around and tell you all the great things about you and you tell yourself great things about yourself and just like continue to lift up your own self-esteem. But the problem with both of these solutions is that at the end of it, you are still the ultimate focus of yourself. You are still the greatest end to your own vision. You see, what we see in John, when he had a particular view of himself, that view wasn't self-love or self-hate, it was self-forgetfulness. You see, the truest thing about you isn't what other people say about you. Check this. It isn't even what you say about yourself. The truest thing about you is what God says about you. This was the anchor of John's identity. This is what made John's view of himself transcend what others thought of him and transcend what he thought of himself. This is what we see in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 when the apostle Paul says, says, I don't care how you judge me and I don't even care how I judge myself. But it's God 
who judges. Your judgment of me doesn't matter, but get this, my judgment of me doesn't matter either. It's God's judgment of me that defines my identity. And so John was chosen by God. Remember, he was chosen by God at birth, touched by his grace, filled with his spirit, which gave him a particularly quiet view of himself because he knew whose he was. And when you know whose you are, it's only then that you can truly know who you are. He had a particular view of himself. But this, this life of faith, this, this life that's been transformed by God also had a particular view of Jesus. Look at verse 29. It says, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Look, literally behold, like loud, declarative, right? Like John had a low view of himself, but he wasn't loud about it. Sometimes we're that, sometimes we're that way, right? It's like, I've got a low view of myself, but I'm loud. Like, behold, I am nothing. Or like, we kind of like make it known all of our deficiencies. And it's kind of that like search for approval or, or affirmation or something. Like John wasn't like grandstanding his low view of himself, but he was incredibly interested in, in attention. He was incredibly interested in getting people's attention when it meant that he would focus their attention on the right thing. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why in the world is this the first thing that John says when he sees Jesus coming? Don't forget, John was the son of a priest. Right? So John grew up in a house where he saw his own dad going to the temple, performing his duties, sacrificing animals for the sin of the people. And so when John is connecting the Lamb of God to Jesus Christ, he's remembering the Exodus. Do you remember the Exodus? When God's people are enslaved in the land of Egypt, God hears their cries, breaks into time and space and goes to them and is going to rescue them out of the land of Egypt. But the night before he does it, he says, take a lamb or a goat, slit its throat and spread its blood on the doorposts of your house. I'm sending my angel of death. And when he sees the blood of the lamb, he will pass you by. And so the people of God, as they stood in faith under the blood of the lamb, were freed from death and slavery. And when John sees Jesus coming, he says, I get it. That lamb, that lamb that our ancestors stood under on the doorpost of their house as the angel of death passed by, that lamb was just a foretaste of the true and greater lamb of God who was to come, whose blood will be spread on the doorpost of our hearts as we stand under his finished work in faith and he will pass us by. Death, sin, and the grave will pass us by as we stand under his blood in faith. John is saying this about Jesus Christ. He says, look, the true and greater lamb of God. He says, I baptize with water, but it's just water, guys. It's just water. See, eventually, if, if I baptize you, you'll eventually dry off and get dirty again. But he said, here's the one. If he baptizes you with the Holy Spirit, you'll be changed forever. See, John's like, I can baptize you and change you like, like your physical appearance for a short time. This one 
If he baptizes you with his Holy Spirit, it will change your soul forever. I can only change your physical condition, but here's the one who can change your, spirit, your spiritual condition. See, we can change how we look. We can change the external. We can change how we look. We can change how we come across, how we present ourselves. It is only the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who can change who you are. See, many of us have spent most of our lives trying to make a name for ourselves, putting on a facade just to be loved and accepted. But don't you see? Don't you see that Jesus Christ, God himself, come in the flesh, knows you in your deepest being. He knows more than just your high school reputation. Like he knows, knows you. And what he's done is that he's come in the flesh to step into your mess to offer you the free gift of salvation by his finished work on the cross to make you clean and to give you a new identity, one that you didn't earn by the works of your hands, but one that has been earned by the works of his. See, that's the crazy thing, right? Like the identity that we continue to try to search for is one that we think can be achieved. If I only do this, if I only look this way, if I only act this way, I can achieve this kind of identity. Jesus flips the script altogether and says, your truest identity, the greatest, the path to life is not an identity that can be achieved. It's only one that can be received by my finished work. And when you receive the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, he gives you a new purpose. He gives you a new identity so that you and I can stop striving for attention. We can stop striving for fame. We can stop striving to be seen, but instead we can joyfully turn people's attention to him. You see, you and I are not the Christ, but praise God that we can be known, loved, accepted, saved, by the one who is. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the new identity that we can have in Jesus Christ. Oh God, I pray for those in this room who have yet to receive your free gift of salvation in Jesus, that they would cease from their striving. That by your Holy Spirit, you would call them to yourself. they receive Christ this morning and receive the rest that comes in an identity that isn't achieved but is purely received on faith. Thank you so much, Jesus, for who you are and what you have done. We pray this in your name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.